Chelsea Fairless. And we need to get right into this episode because your wife is landing at the airport as I speak and you need to get back home. I know the house is a disaster. Like, does anyone else do this when their partner goes away? Like I turn into a full blown monster. Like I stop doing the dishes. Like there's like empty cans of Diet Coke next to my bed. Like it's dark. I mean, I guess maybe I just have clinical depression when (laughs) she's out of town. So that's your secret single behaviors. You turn into that Tracy Evans piece from, you know, when she's in bed. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That is my vibe. Um, Chelsea, we don't have time. We don't have time. For banter. So (laughs) we have some major sex in the city news. Aiden is back. Well, this is Carrie and Aiden (laughs) 3.0. If anyone is keeping score at home. Look, I'm not saying that the end, just like that cast and crew have it out for us, but it is suspicious that we release episodes Friday and this was released Friday. I know. They always like drop these big announcements right after we record. It's so rude. If you're listening to this podcast, you know the photo. They're holding hands like it's the year 2000. Yeah. Aiden is looking like kind of not Aiden-like, actually. He's wearing a barboard jacket. He's very British. Like, this is what you wear when you're going to, like, shoot pheasants or something. I assume he was the host of a design show in England. I think that's his backstory. (laughs) Yeah, do you think Aiden would be on the AD100 at this point? I mean, at this point, yes. (laughs) It does seem like... Brad Pitt could like fly him out to Carmel to like build him some 80 piece sectional or something. That's absolutely what happened. But if we could get into just the context of the photograph, this wasn't a leaked set photo. This was from their set photographer, Sarah Jessica Parker, and the official and Just Like That account released the photo. And we didn't do an emergency pod because there wasn't much to say. But I had assumed they released that image because they knew they were going to start doing exterior shoots with John Corbett. So they're like, let us control the narrative. But thus far, no photos. Yeah, well, that might be coming. Also, I would take this image with a grain of salt, like in it, Aiden and Carrier smiling and holding hands. But we have to remember that in the past, they have done things to throw us off. Like how when they were filming the first Sex in the City film, they had Kim Cattrall in a wedding dress. Yeah. Like last year when they were filming the first season of And Just Like That, and they had Mr. Big like in the funeral sequence to throw people off. So I don't think this equals Carrie and Aiden getting back together necessarily. I mean, we're going to have to see. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. They did almost fuck in Abu Dhabi. And now that Big's cremated remains are like floating down the Seine, maybe Aiden and Carrie can finally be together. Yeah, I wonder if this is going to pan out like Bridget Moynihan and just he's going to be there for one episode or if this is genuinely... They are rekindling their romance and this is going to be a season long arc because if it is the latter, then it gives credence to what Charlotte said in I think season four, which is you only get two great loves. And in the moment, Carrie's (laughs) like, so Aiden and Big, great. There's no more great loves for me. So I guess that's true. Maybe there isn't. Also, I want to talk about 
Carrie's outfit, she's wearing so many layers that she looks like a Russian nesting doll. (laughs) And when I first saw this image, I was shocked because I actually own that evening cape that she's wearing on the outermost part of this outfit. I have it in black. It's vintage Christian Dior. It's like Mark Bohan era and it's taffeta. And I bought it at a vintage fair. I don't know how I thought I was going to wear this. I know why. Or where or when or how. All right, let's book a dinner. Let's wear this out. It's just very formal. When I first bought it, I thought like the black one kind of does have the vibe of like an oversized asymmetric Japanese avant-garde vibe, like depending on how you style it. But I never wore it like that either. So it remains a mystery to me, but it's hanging in my closet. It's going to be interesting because... There was something exciting about having a single Carrie in her 50s dating. And if they are genuinely together, like, yes, you could look at it as these two were meant to be together, but the timing wasn't right. Or I don't know how women are going to take it if they genuinely are together, because it's kind of saying like, sure, there are still great loves for women in their 50s. You just need to have met them in your 30s. Yeah, (gasps) true. Oh my God, do you think Michael Patrick King, like myself, was inspired by J-Lo and Ben Affleck rekindling the romance after 20 years? Perhaps. I mean, it does happen. The timeline does match up. Yeah. Now, we historically, since the beginning of the Instagram account, have not been fans of Aiden, and we've gotten so much blowback. Chell, if you remember, so much so that in 2018, we wrote a post called Why We Don't Fuck With Aiden. Do you remember the reasons we gave? No, of course I don't. Uh, do you want me to read them to you? Sure, I'm scared, but go ahead. By the way, we hashtag the post, hashtag manic pick, manic pixie. <laughs> Wait, let's not talk about hashtagging it. I feel like that's too, that's too 2018. Let's skip over that. All right, we did call him a manic pixie artisan boy. <laughs> All right, we said, number one, the smoking thing. We can understand why Aiden wouldn't want Carrie smoking around his expensive furniture, but we think it's fucked up that his love for her is contingent on her ability to conform to his lifestyle. Yes, he is allowed to have personal boundaries, but his ultimatum was ultimately passive-aggressive and petty. Yeah, I agree. Well, she's going to have to quit smoking again. (laughs) Like, did she ever quit smoking on end just like that? It's hard to say. By the way, my favorite parts of And Just Like That is her smoking, so. Number two, the cheating thing. Getting cheated on sucks. We get it. However, if you're going to take your partner back, you have to forgive them and move on. When Aiden inferred that he might fuck a bartender from Scout as a form of retaliation for Mr. Big Calling, we lost all respect for him. It was emotionally abusive behavior towards Carrie and the bartender, Shayna. Fanning availability to someone while actively withholding from your current partner is a classic dick move. Yes, I completely stand by that. Uh, Number three, the abortion thing. We agree with Carrie's assertion that Aiden seemed relieved when she lied and told him she had never had an abortion. This isn't a pro-choice or pro-life thing. It's more about a man's need to put their own narrative of their partner on their partner in order to feel secure. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Number four, the marriage thing. Carrie was very clear when she communicated to Aiden she was deeply anxious and overwhelmed with the prospect of getting married. After initially agreeing to push pause on their nuptials, he swiftly ambushed her with the suggestion of a shotgun wedding. He wanted to be married so much that it didn't seem to matter if Carrie wanted to or not. Yeah, we forgot his ugly furniture. (laughs) well that seems that seems pretty subjective (laughs) actually it's not even that ugly i guess all we saw was that chair and then that bench with like the wood that made the other wood stronger or whatever i mean you are making fun of his his furniture but he just had a solo show with brad pitt in switzerland so the joke's on you (laughs) 
Anyway, I know that you know this, Chelsea. We obviously agree with what we wrote five years ago, Jesus, at this point. But I just wanted to let the listeners know, this is why we don't fuck with Aiden. Yeah. So shall we get into the Miley Cyrus of it all? Yes, which was also released Friday, but I don't think Miley was trying to spite the release date of our podcast. She evidently released this music video on January 13th because it's her ex-husband Liam Hemsworth's birthday. Right. And she allegedly filmed the music video in a house that he had rented and potentially lived in when he was cheating on her. Yeah, that's a fascinating rumor that's been running wild on the internet, except not one legitimate news source has run with this. And by legitimate, like, I'll take Us Weekly or TMZ. <laughs> this was something that was started by a Twitter account called Pop Things with a Z, who just, like, posted it. <laughs> and everyone was like, got it, running with it. <laughs> I choose to believe it. <laughs> That's the thing. This is the kind of misinformation that speaks to me. Yeah, it's like uh, right now everyone's going crazy about a rumor, a blind item that someone said on TikTok that Aaron Taylor Johnson cheated on his mom wife with Joey King during the bullet train press. His mom wife, Sam Taylor Wood? Yes. Who, by the way, the internet now looks at her as a groomer. She groomed him. That's so fucked up. Also, I saw that a certain fashion watchdog account, which will remain nameless, also slandered her because she's now directing the Amy Winehouse biopic. biopic. Yeah. And I don't know. They kind of like dissed her for directing Fifty Shades of Grey, to which I say that was not a bad movie. The first one. Which she directed, she elevated it to a place it did not need to be. Yeah. I think what she should be getting shit for is, do you know that she and Aaron Taylor Johnson a few years ago made James Fry's A Million Little Pieces into a movie? Oh, really? Yes. Should we watch that? I think so. Yeah, that's great. I'd also love to watch that Oprah interview again. <sighs> Things I would pay to be on own. <laughs> Anyway, back to the song. Back to Miley. I like the song. I love the video. I love the video. I will say the part of the chorus where she starts doing a bunch of like CrossFit exercises. Felt... You mean the part of the video? Yes. The part of the video where she starts like with ropes and doing Pilates moves. It felt like someone let her know on the set of the video that she had to do some like Nike app promo. And she was like, I'll just roll it in. <laughs> you guys can clip this out. It's fine. I really like the clothes. I mean, there's really only two outfits or three if you consider her in her underwear, but it opens with her in this really beautiful Gold LeMay Yves Saint Laurent ensemble that actually designed by Yves Saint Laurent from 1991. Gorgeous, fabulous, timeless, and of the moment. Yeah, we need to shout out her stylist, Bradley Kenneth, who has been killing it between his archival picks for her New Year's Eve special and now this. Yeah. I love that there was a different spring-summer 1991 Yves Saint Laurent look that he picked for the New Year's Eve special. And I love his specificity with, like, that one collection, picking yeah. several looks from it. No, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And then she changes into an oversized men's suit, which I assume is part of the storytelling, right? I get the sense that she's breaking into this house and going into this man's wardrobe and like taking one of his suits and then dancing around his house in it. That's how I interpret it. If you are to believe the misinformation from what was the Twitter source? Papa Tings with a Z. <laughs> yeah. 
That makes sense. But she looks incredible. I don't know how we didn't see her boobs. I mean, they were edited out, but she's wearing an open jacket the whole time. There's no shirt under there. When you have performed that scantily clad for the last 15 years, you know how to move without popping a titty. So that suit, uh, which I got from some fanatical Fashion Miley Instagram account, it would be Look 55 from the fall winter YSL show or Saint Laurent show. Beautiful. Can we go back to YSL? It just mm, rolls off the tongue so nicely. It doesn't bother me. I'm just happy that they have gone back to the old logo. Like it doesn't say Eves anymore, but they got rid of that sans serif, like Saint Laurent thing. And now it's more fab and decorative. And thank God. But I did see in a comment when I was looking up the outfit credit, someone went, that's Liam's suit that he wore at their wedding. And someone was like, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) I am like so sick of the Hemsworths having just been in Australia because the amount that people talk about them or that they come up in conversation there is like insane. It's like, oh, I saw Liam at this restaurant or like, oh, like Chris just bought this house in Byron Bay. And it's like constant. Wow. I will say that I love the fuckhead who immediately DM'd us and was like, Lauren, I need to know your thoughts on the house. I, of course, could not rest until I ID'd the home because I knew I had seen it before. Uh huh. The house is located in Chatsworth, California, which is a suburb, as you know, located in the deep San Fernando Valley, a suburb mostly known as the porn capital of Los Angeles. I say this as someone whose father used to have an office in Chatsworth. <laughs> um, the house was built in the early 50s by renowned architect William Pereira. It is most famously known as Frank Sinatra's house during his Rat Pack days, where he allegedly let Marilyn Monroe stay in the guest house when she was having an affair with JFK. Oh, wow. Boom. Love that. (laughs) I saw your eyes when I started to talk about the house, but I I got you at the end. No, no. My eyes lit up at the end. But um, Miley's been delivering just some great breakup bangers. Nothing breaks like a heart, and I can love me better than you can. Oof. Yeah. Her godmother would be so proud. Look, I think the song is good. It's no wrecking ball, but it's also way better than Malibu, which I believe was about, which one is she with again? Liam. Liam. Yes, their house in Malibu. The one that burned down. I know. Quite, quite prophetic. (laughs) Also, by the way, if he did use this as a fuck pad, let me just tell you, Malibu to Chatsworth is a terrible commute. Malibu to Calabasas, now that I would believe. (laughs) Shall we move on to the Critics' Choice Awards, which I did not see? Neither did I, because I did not know that they were on. Now, as two people that run a pop culture weekly podcast, should we maybe look at the awards schedule? Yes, but we didn't. Who knew there was a week after the Golden Globes, not even a week after the Golden Globes, five days after the Golden Globes, that there was another movie and television award show? Yeah. Well, also it was on the CW and I don't have cable. I figured like, oh, I'll just get every single streaming service, which I have. I have every single streaming service, but somehow it's still not enough. And I think I just need to suck it up and get cable. Like Spectrum is going to own my ass no matter what. And Spectrum does own my ass. But here's the thing. I went back to go watch the Critics' Choice Awards on demand and they wouldn't let me fast forward through any of it. They were like, guess what? You're going to sit through all three hours in real time. Oh, that's fucked up. So I got about an hour and a half of the way through it so I can give a rundown of notable winners. But before we get into that, can we just get into the Coldstone Creamery <laughs> step and repeat? <laughs> 
It was so beautiful. Yeah, at the Critics' Choice, they had this cold stone step and repeat. They asked celebrities to take photos in front of it. They did have the option to decline. Like, it's not as if they would be denied entry into the ceremony if they didn't take a picture. I know, but it was it was heavily implied, and actors really can't say no. I, I do think that this award show broke people. Like, from Seth Rogen to Kate Blanchett, which we'll get into a second... I think this award show just like broke celebrities' minds. Have you ever considered that maybe all these celebs just love Cold Stone Creamery? Like they know the joys of birthday cake remix. Why do you think they're all on Ozempic right now? It's because they love Cold Stone Creamery too much. Okay. Do you ever go to Cold Stone? Like I haven't set foot in one in years. No, I've never been. First of all, what am I going to do with all of that? I know. Well, I'm not someone that heavily restricts what I eat on the basis of calories. But even for me, I'm like Cold Stone. (laughs) Like that's a bridge too far. Also, it disturbs me that they make their employees sing while they make the ice cream. That has to violate some sort of labor law or something, right? Like literally you go in, I remember I went in once and they were singing, I've been working on the railroad, yeah. but they changed the lyrics to, I've been working at the Cold Stone. This certainly breaks the Geneva Conventions or something, but I will say, okay, for a branded step and repeat, they weren't satisfied just to do the standard, like, here's our brand logo. They put, like, little ice cream, <laughs> not cones, but, like, the tubs. They put yeah. the Cold Stone ice cream tubs in front of people and made them stand in front of it. I love the one of Aubrey Plaza. Yes, Aubrey Plaza, the Gina Gershon in Showgirls of the Critics' Choice Awards. She knew exactly how to act. Yeah, she did. Would you like me to do a rundown of notable winners? Sure. Angela Bassett won for Best Supporting Actress in Wakanda Forever. Great. So I think she's a straight shot to winning the Oscar, which is amazing. Brendan Fraser won for The Male. <laughs> Wait, what? The Whale? No, I just said The Male instead of The Whale. The Whale. <laughs> the Whale. So I guess we're just going to have to go back and forth with, with each award show to see if Austin Butler wins again, or it's going to be a clean sweep for Brendan Fraser. Everything Everywhere All at Once won Best Picture. The Daniels won Best Screenplay and Best Director. I would assume they're going to win the IFC Best Director, but with the Oscars, I think it's going to be Spielberg. But excitingly, Sarah Pauly won Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. God, we have to go hear those women talking. We really do. There's so many movies I need to see. I'm like overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Uh, And then Ruth Carter won Best Costumes for Wakanda Forever. Great. But I will say, for the who your categories, and by who your I mean TV, they gave out the awards two at a time, which they do at the Golden Globes. But when I say two at a time, I don't mean like how they do it at the Golden Globes, where it's like the presenters come out, they do best supporting actress in a comedy, that person wins, does their speech, gets off, then they present best supporting actor in a comedy. They read best actor, best actors at the same time, made them come up at the same time. And no. Then, yes. And then, they did not. Yes. And give an award speech one right after the other. They did this to Giancarlo Esposito and Jennifer Coolidge. Wow. So this is what I mean by I think this award show like broke celebrities. I do love that Jennifer Coolidge again talked about how it's not over till you're dead. And I wish that a celebrity would commit to a bit, especially one that it seems like they're guaranteed to do a sweep through the award shows and just do the same speech every award show. Yeah, love that. 
I thought a like interesting win was that Daniel Radcliffe won Best Actor in a movie or minis- miniseries for the Weird Al movie that he was in that was on Roku. Okay, everyone that's seen that tells me that it's incredible. I would believe it's incredible. I just, what an interesting, I didn't realize it was a <laughs> TV movie slash miniseries. I guess it technically is because it's on Roku. God, I'm going to have to get that too. <laughs> Fuck. And then I like that they have a category at the Critics' Choice Award uh, for Best Young Performer. Like Best Child Actor? Basically. That's a kind way of saying, yeah, Best Child Actor. That's cute. Yeah. And then I've left the best for last, which is Kate Blanchett won for Tar. And that is one speech I did see. Shall we just drop the audio here? Thank you. And thank you to all my fellow nominees. You're, I, look, I would love it if we would just change the <laughs> It's like, what is this? It's this patriarchal pyramid where someone stands up here. Why don't we just say there is a whole raft of female performances that are in concert and in dialogue with one another. And stop the televised horse race of it all. Because t- can I tell you, every single woman, whether, you know, television, film, advertising, tampon commercials, whatever, you're all out there doing amazing work that is inspiring me continually. So thank you. I share this with you all. So this is kind of the equivalent of Fiona Apple's This World is Bullshit MTV speech. Yeah. I love Kate Blanchett more than just about anyone, and I appreciate the sentiment behind her speech, but I have some thoughts like, how is winning Best Actress reinforcing the patriarchy? Is it because they're forcing women to compete against each other, but like they also make men do that? Yeah, I think the idea is that the producers and the heads of Hollywood, you know, the powers that be are still men. True. And I guess that all of the Best Actress nominees are always like very traditionally hot, but it more reinforces like the gender binary than anything. And that's an entirely different conversation. Right. Although when people are like, we should have genderless categories, where that ends up stopping is that more men will just end up winning. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's natural for straight men to project themselves into the straight male characters. To throw it back to Laura Mulvey's essay, Visual Pleasure in Narrative Cinema, which we touched upon in the Showgirls episodes, that's what people do. Like, if you're a straight man, you project yourself into the straight male characters. Like, we project ourselves into the female characters. And sometimes gay men project themselves into the female characters, which is why we like the same movies as them. But I feel like if these voting bodies are predominantly straight cis men, then that's just who will end up winning. Right, and that's why what I'm looking towards the Oscars because to get nominated for an Oscar, it's the people in your guild, right? So costume designers nominate the costume people. But once you get to the main nominations, it's everyone in every different body and guild votes for everyone else. Right. And the voting body is older white people usually. I love that she gave a shout out to the actresses in tampon commercials. Like that was so funny. I'm inspired by them too, frankly, but that's not even a bad job. That's like a six figure payout. Those kind of commercials are what working actors long for. I just like to think that as she was getting hair and makeup, the TV was on the background and she saw a particularly moving (laughs) Tampax commercial. I'm imagining Kate Blanchett like talking to one of those like actors in like a pad commercial and being like, you know, when you poured that blue liquid, (laughs) 
On that maxi pad, I actually believed that it drew moisture away from the body. See, if Variety's Actors on Actors wants to be for real, you need Kate Blanchett interviewing Flo from the progressive commercials, okay? <laughs> that is a working actor. No, that would be amazing. Okay, I have a theory about this. Okay. And I'm going to invoke a pop culture reference, which is Adele and Beyonce, an album of the year at the Grammys. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Did Adele give her award to Beyonce? Well, Beyonce was nominated for Lemonade, which should have won as that was the album of the year. Right. But then Adele won and Adele got up there and was just like super embarrassed and flustered and was basically like, I shouldn't have won this award. Like, Lemonade is my album of the year. I feel like it's possible that she may have said this because she does not want to beat Michelle Yeoh for the Oscars. And she's trying to like nip it now. Okay, so why I said did Adele give Beyonce the award is I think the only way to top the Will Smith slap at this year's Oscars is if Kate Blanchett does indeed win, she needs to give her award to Michelle Yeoh. Do you remember when this happened at the Golden Globes when Ving Rhames won for some TV movie in the late 90s and he was like, I don't deserve this and gave his award on stage to Jack Lemmon? Right. Well, the thing is, Kate Blanchett, of course, does deserve it, but she's in an exceedingly privileged position position in Hollywood because she gets every role that every actress would fucking kill for and it's like first on the list it's like her it's Nicole Kidman those girls if she's railing against the system as she is in her award show speech which she did show up for she did go on stage she did accept the award then this is the perfect way to fuck with the system also she is insulated enough that it's not like she's going to be blacklisted from, I don't know, put out tar, A24. Like, everyone's still going to hire her. So she right. can have her cake and eat it too that way. And we as the audience gets a holy shit moment. Yeah. Or the Academy can do the right thing and just give Michelle Yeoh best actress. Yeah. Well, they're both deserving of it. Do you know who's also deserving, who Kate Blanchett also shouted out on stage, was the actress... Andrea Riceborough, who is in a movie playing an alcoholic mother, this film called To Leslie, that I had not heard of until this past week, when seemingly this bizarre, not bizarre, but this coordinated online campaign between Kate Blanchett, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Winslet, Amy Adams, Courtney Cox, Demi Moore, Mia Farrow, Mira Sorvino, Charlize Theron, Sarah Paulson, Jane Fonda, all were like, this movie needs to get nominated. It is this grassroots last minute push for Andrea Riceborough to get nominated, which also feels like Kate Blanchett is like, I don't want to win. Let it be anyone but me. Right. I saw the trailer for that. And yes, this looks like an Oscar worthy performance. It looks incredible. It's a total Oscar film. But some of the best performances are always overlooked by the Oscars. The Oscars rarely nominate actors in foreign films for major acting categories. Like, right. you think Catherine Deneuve has an Oscar? Like, she doesn't. So it's like... Do you remember that Emma Stone won Best Actress for La La Land? Because she fucking did. <laughs> and it's like, that's what they do. It's like, they do not recognize the best actors in the world. And then they decide to give them honorary Oscars when they have, like, advanced Parkinson's or something, you know? 
Jesus. It's so true, though. This is why we need another honorary Oscar called the Glenn Close. And Glenn Close can win the first one. It's an award for a body of work. Yeah, Annette Bening gets the next one. Right. And we give it to people before they're on their deathbed. I agree. Like, we shouldn't have to wheel these people out every single time. Also, The Matrix is too complicated of like what is considered an awards film and the age to do that perfectly, to get nominated. Yeah. But it is funny to see this grassroots campaign amongst a bunch of very well-known celebrities all within the span of a few days talk about a film that no one's really heard of. Yeah, it's cool. I want to see this movie now, so they succeeded on that front. Job well done. We learned they all finance this movie (laughs) just trying to get their money back shall we move on to men's fashion week let's do it so i want to start with saint laurent because i'm obsessed with it same i'm we both owe anthony vaccarello a huge apology because we did not care for his work initially at saint laurent no and he has pivoted to the most extreme forms of glamour imaginable like it's so good because it's such a good collection because we're at a place now where androgyny is really ubiquitous in the fashion industry gucci has obviously been incredibly influential Balenciaga, Hood Bayer, all of those brands. But no one is really doing this kind of androgyny. Like all of these clothes look like women's clothes that are inspired by menswear that are then worn by men again. Like everything looks like something that should be in Tilda Swinton's wardrobe. Ooh, that's the perfect way to describe it. You know, but it's all male models. I also say more men in pussy bows, okay? This is equality. Yeah. He's also referencing all of these archival Yves Saint Laurent looks like the sheer chiffon blouse, like the hooded dresses and just making them for men. Like, why not? Yes. And he seems to have a particular love, which I deeply fuck with, with Tom Ford's brief era at Yves Saint Laurent as well. Totally. Uh, He's also referencing Rudy Gernreich, who was making unisex clothes in the 60s and 70s in Los Angeles. Like all those turtleneck dresses where the turtleneck was pulled up to obscure the model's face was like classic Rudy. So good. Yeah, I was going to say this is the silhouette I love the most, which is just turtleneck up to the nose. Mm -hmm. I also love the idea of a man in just like an inky column dress. These are the best dresses I've ever seen for men. You know that? And Nick- for women, frankly. You know that Nicki Minaj song where she's like, I endorse these strippers? Like, <laughs> I endorse these male models wearing these dresses. Like, I support them. Like, this looks so good. Yeah. It's just, ugh, it's a breath of fresh. He said in the, in the fashion show notes that he wanted the men and women of his designs to be one person. And that he wanted them to be on the same level, that there was no distinction, which I feel like a lot of designers talk about that when they talk about androgyny. But this is the most perfect synthesis of this concept. Totally. And if you're a non-binary person that likes to incorporate both feminine and masculine elements into a single look, like look no further. Now you just have to find a way to make a shitload of money. I was just about to say, now you just need (laughs) $7,000 and you're golden. (laughs) But the moment that Timothée shimmies into one of these ensembles, it's all going to be over. But yeah, it's cool. I really like the idea of remaking iconic women's pieces for men. It reminds me of how Margiela designed the tabby boot 
10,000 years ago, and then it was only relatively recently that they started making them in men's sizes, and now I see guys in them all the time. I mean, not here, but when I go to New York, you know. Right. That's when we know that it's time to put the tabbies back in the closet when L.A. men start wearing them. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, Anthony Vaccarello, A+. Plus, brilliant show. We're sorry. <laughs> so on to Gucci. Ooh, I, so <laughs> where, where should we begin? Well, this is the first show since Alessandro Michele's departure. It was noticeably pared down compared to past collections. And the first third of the show was kind of a Bottega Veneta, Dries Van Noten adjacent vibe. And then it descended into this very specific like 80s, by the way, of the early 2000s indie sleaze kind of thing and I was like oh no if Gucci becomes another rock and roll brand I'm going to kill myself like we already have Celine we just got Saint Laurent back on track yeah like I actually just don't want this you know well perhaps the only reason Saint Laurent is so good now is like we have to rebalance the design system we have to sacrifice one curing brand for another yeah but I thought it was interesting in the show notes they said that um the show was an act of improvisation a freestyle quote reflection of the individualities represented by the multifaceted creatives and craftsmen who inhabit the house of Gucci which to me just says our creative director left in the middle of this, okay? We're trying our best. <laughs> yeah. But even though the sort of total look wasn't necessarily my vibe, there are obviously beautiful pieces in the show. Like, I liked the oversized leather jumpsuits that reminded me of something that, like, Busta Rhymes might have worn back in the day. Yeah, I just, I feel like the predominant styling idea was that men this year are going to want to tuck their jeans into pirate boots and have leg warmers over them. Yeah, ugh, no, not that again. And I know we're reinterpreting the 80s in design. You see that a lot in Saint Laurent, clearly. But um, not this way. Not this look, okay? No, I don't want it this way. I understand the ballerina core is big, <laughs> but let's not do this for men. <laughs> men can represent themselves any way they would like. I'm just saying, I don't think this man exists, Gucci. <laughs> On to greener pastures. Yes. Prada. Absolutely. Chic as fuck, as per usual. The most classic gorgeous suiting a person could find. The first part of the collection was very, to me, a 90s interpretation of the late 60s and 70s. Like, yeah, I fuck with it so heavily, like a shiny navy suit with a pastel lapel. Like, it felt like something Giovanni Ribisi would have worn in the Mod Squad movie. Totally. It's exactly that because all of the models had these exaggerated pointy collars that, that were then styled outside of the lapel of the jacket, which was such a thing in the 90s and even a little bit into the early 2000s, hence Jennifer Beals' wardrobe on the L word. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those pointy collar shirts, that's the piece to buy. That's just like, that's everything. I'm ready for a shirt with a pointy collar. Like I have a dress with a pointy collar, but yeah. I need a shirt like that. I just thought the color stories in this collection were so good. There's oh. a... Heaven. Like this look, it's look 30 and 31, where it's this blazer looking top, almost like a wool blazer, but 
it's tucked into pants. And they okay, pants. that is like a little too pro Anna, though. We don't need to be giving men <laughs> full on eating disorders. Like you have to tuck a blazer into a pair of slacks. But the that's top, sadism. The top looked blazery, like it was a faux lapel, but it was definitely a shirt that was tucked into pants. But the first it looked amazing. I'm not saying I, it did it. The first version was like a brushed gray blue top with emerald green pants, and then the second was red pants with like a jewel tone brown top. Yeah. No, the color Musha and Raf have always been masters of color. They're kind of the best in the game. I would also put Pierre Paulo and Dries in that same category. But I mean, yeah, like the the pea soup greens and the the pastel pinks. It's it's too much, actually. It's it's too much. It's beautiful. I hope a trend that may catch on that was in the Prada show was that men wearing pastel cardigans with nothing underneath. Yeah. Just like a tits out and a cardigan look. Like a thoughty Mr. Rogers. <laughs> like a twinky Berlin-based Mr. Rogers. <laughs> anyway, on to Martine Rose. I mean, f- to begin, I love the casting. Yeah. I love, there was just like an old man who would otherwise be in a David Lynch film walking in the show. <laughs> Totally, totally. It's giving the casting is giving character actor. <laughs> I really like this show. Martine Rose is a very cool designer, but everything in this collection is wearable. And like Balenciaga, she's referencing mass market clothes from the 80s and 90s, and it's working for her. And she's making a strong case for getting that Louis Vuitton job or perhaps uh, a job at Balenciaga if they do end up firing Demna. I think everyone, it's died down on the Balenciaga side of things. So I think Demna's maybe, maybe safe. But but they haven't done anything since then. They haven't released anything or promoted anything. So we don't know what will happen. It's like when someone that's canceled hasn't done an Instagram post in like a year. And then they do one. And then all the comments are like, fuck you. Very true. I mean, we're going to have to wait till March when the when the Paris shows are. But that I was going to ask you that if they have filled uh, the Virgil design position at Louis Vuitton. Because well, we talked about that a few months ago. They're doing a one-off collection with Kids Super. I don't really care about this personally. I think the show is today or tomorrow or something, but... Yeah, I love the mix of textures in this Martine Rose show. The like dad core overly cargo pocket pant with a fringe shirt or like a yellow wash jean with a latex top and then like a suede duster jacket. Yeah, I just want to know which rapper is going to wear that pink fur coat. I'm not sure if the fur is real or not, but it looks pretty good. That has, sorry, just catching it. That has little Nas X written all over it. What are you talking about? Oh, it's true. It's true. It's a jacket that otherwise little Kim would have worn in 1995. <laughs> True. Anyway, on to J-Dubs, J.W. Anderson. I feel like when it comes to J.W. Anderson, because the collections are so exquisite, I almost don't have words to describe it. You're so much better than I am at this. Not to completely punt it to you, but it's like, it's fab. Sure. I think it's always fun to talk about his collections on the pod because they are increasingly bizarre and stunty. And podcasts are the perfect visual medium to discuss fashion (laughs) shows. 
Yeah, I'm not mad at the stuntiness, though, because like you said, it is well executed. But the looks in this show, like look one was like Twinkie FIT student (laughs) shopping at Mood Fabrics. It does feel like a demented Project Runway (laughs) challenge. For for people who haven't seen the show, it's two shirtless men holding bolts of fabric and then wearing little boxer briefs, 1960. Very um, Matt Damon in uh, Talented Mr. Ripley (laughs) bathing suits of the the same fabric, of the bolts of fabric they're holding. So hence a demented demented Project Runway challenge. Yeah, then we have the sleepwalking tomato people. I don't know how else to do describe it then we have the one model in the show with the fully painted face how is this such a thing at least it's not a sequin fit we've moved it's not it's not pat mcgrath glitter face it is just like a spiral painted on a single model's face how did they make that decision we really need a casting director or a makeup artist on the show to understand like is this the chosen position to be in the fashion show if you get selected to be sequin or paint faced or is it like the scarlet letter of like i did (laughs) i did bad in the run through so they had to paint my face yeah they do it to the worst model how is this going to trickle down to the public like you go out with your click and one person has to have the painted face i voted to you (laughs) i thought what you meant was how is zara and like fast fashion gonna (laughs) interpret this no it's just it's so funny that that's such a thing but as per usual i like the accessories i like the shoes he did this like mod flat biker boot that was really cute then there were these frog shoes i feel like i need to get those for tat and then there was a frog clutch so should we tell our pigeon bag that it's so last season because the frog is here you know what is our pigeon bag a a he or she it doesn't have a gender it's a pigeon okay well i think their wing is going to spontaneously fall off again (laughs) once they know oh by the way no the wing is back i got the wing fixed So for the listener's benefit, our friend Amy's husband, Joe, is an incredible costume designer, works on lots of major films. Amazing. We gave him this bag and fixing this bag became his obsession and his mission and he has fixed it. The hinge works again. I don't know what he did. I don't know if he like cauterized the wing or like melted the hinge a little bit or if he like glued it and then put some sort of putty on it to like reinforce it but it works so she will fly again and by fly i mean sit on my bookshelf and occasionally be taken out to restaurants very nice well you know how joe is able to fix it that's the same attention to detail of why david fincher also loves him (laughs) going back to jw anderson i love the the shirts he did that almost look like where it lined up with the neckline it was the model's head on someone else's body oh yeah the muscle the beefcake shirts yeah this show looks like what happens if you like did ayahuasca and your trip was a fashion show (laughs) you know i love that anyway by the way my favorite thing to do is to read the vogue reviews which in another life i thought i could do but they're doing the lord's work trying to instantaneously have socio-political thoughts around collections but what i love about them as well is they reveal what the designers say in the show notes 
And it just is such a production of what they have to say for what each collection means. Just going back to, to Raph, he goes, we talked about how we want to work really hard to make clothes that could have a reality in this world, but which on the other hand, still push it, which have a fashion point of view. And like, that's just a fancy way of being like, I don't know, this is just what we fucking like this season. Well, I think he's saying like he wants to push fashion forward, but he actually wants to make clothes that like have a practical place in people's lives. I know, but per your point just a second ago, if a designer was like, I wanted it to just feel like if you took ayahuasca and went to a fashion show, that seems more realistic. Yeah. Also, I was stoned last night when I was looking at this collection and I looked at the photo of Raph and Musha and I just like imagined like there needs to be a film based on this situation. Ooh. You know what I mean? Where it's like the matriarch of this like uh, this dynasty, basically this fashion dynasty. And then like the younger guy sort of coming in to be her successor and like them maybe having like a a kind of contentious but like weirdly mother-son relationship emotional psychosexual affair no 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 this isn't your movie this is my movie but Isabella Huppert is <laughs> is Musha yeah yeah I don't know who's playing Raph in my movie but I would see that and I think that Be- Ben Wishaw the British actor I think that what's going on behind the scenes is probably fascinating I don't know if it's actually like dark but I'm sure it's thrilling in your movie it will be dark yeah does this also go in our favorite genre glamorous woman having a nervous (laughs) breakdown at a fabulous abandoned mansion over a weekend is that what we've defined it as misha prada isn't giving me nervous breakdown she's giving me low-level depression you (laughs) know what i mean petering off just kind of just like you know (laughs) right But I don't know. Or maybe that's just what I get from her clothes. Like, they're not the most exuberant clothes. Some of them are, but... I think this, between this and Rei Kawakubo... Oh, she's actually depressed. No, but what I'm saying is you need to establish a fashion guide that's based on levels of seasonal depression. (laughs) You know how, like, when you go to a hospital and they have, like, the pain charts? You need that with fashion shows and designers and seasonal depression. Ugh. Anyway, shall we move on to Andre Leontali's Christie's estate sale? This isn't happening for another month, but it was already written up in the New York Times, so we said, fuck it, let's discuss it. Yes, the things being auctioned off are fabulous, but honestly, it made me really sad looking at this. Like, this particular collection of items really embodies the person that he was, and in a way, it's all that's left of him in a physical sense. You know, and that just depressed me. I agree with you. But what surprised me was actually there weren't as many items as I thought. So it's such a curated selection that I really do hope FIT Museum, the Academy Museum, the Met, someone is going to buy this as a whole. The caftan should not be separated. Like it feels inhumane. And I'm sorry, he should have left those to the Met. You can auction off everything else, whatever. But also, I want the Julian's auction version of this auction. I want his shitty clothes, too. I don't just want, like, the most fabulous Louis Vuitton trunks and the Andy Warhol. I want, like, his shitty slippers or something. Oh, just give it six more months. That one is that one is coming. That one we can actually... Bet. Afford something, maybe. Mm, maybe. But... I'm hoping if a museum, a costume institute isn't going to buy this stuff, that someone like an Ivy Getty, like an heiress to a billionaire with excellent taste, is just going to buy everything out 
to make this an exhibition because this shit deserves to be a traveling exhibition. Yeah, like what Daphne Guinness did with Isabella Blow. I think this shit absolutely does belong together. It should be a traveling exhibition. I mean, the portraits of him and stuff, the portrait of Anna Wintour, for God's sake, that made me want to cry, just knowing how complicated their relationship was towards the end of his life. Yeah, I thought the most curious piece up for auction is uh, the Helmut Newton portrait of uh, Karl Karl Lagerfeld Lagerfeld from the 80s. Just the idea that... Andre, I mean, I get why it's there. They all were buddies with each other in the 70s in Paris, but just the idea that it was like in his hallway or something. Yeah. I love the Gianni Versace illustration of him in like Harlequin pants. Yes. Amazing. Dead at that. And of course, the silver Elsa Peretti for Halston box. And the Sex in the City train case. How have we not mentioned this? Oh, God. Yes. That's the big that's the big ticket item, I think. Hold on. How much is that? Could we potentially? No. <laughs> um oh yeah, the train case is four thousand dollars. By the way, that's just well, the estimate, which means it's gonna go for twelve thousand dollars. Well, yeah, because with auctions, isn't it just the estimate of like what it's actually worth independently of the fact that it was owned by a famous person? It's like the bare bones of it, like a Louis Vuitton train case from that era is worth that amount of money. Oh, I guess I've always interpreted it as that's our estimate of what it's going to go for. Oh, no, it's going to go way over No, 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 definitely. I think if I were going to, uh, I lost for words, place a bet? Auction? Mm -hmm. How would you phrase that? Uh, Thank you. That's the correct (laughs) word. If If I was was to place a bet. (laughs) I was to place a bet on this Andre Leontali auction. Um, No, if I was going to put a bid on anything, I think it would be the Hermes bicycle. Really? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm into that, but it's random. I mean, I will say the gigantic Birkin that I could fit inside of <laughs> has a certain appeal as well. Yeah, I think I would want the Louis Vuitton train case at the end of the day. How many people do you think know the last item up for auction is a portrait of Andre Leontali from 1989 shot by a photographer named Alice Springs? How many people do you think know that that is... Helmut Newton's wife. Yeah, June Newton. Anyone that's bidding on this shit probably (laughs) does. Fair enough, fair enough. Here's what I can figure out. If this is the stuff that's being auctioned off, and maybe there are things that are already going to go to the Met, or if this really was all of his nicest stuff, because it doesn't This is all of his nicest stuff. We've seen the photos of him in all of these outfits, you know? You're right, you're right. That are in this sale. I take it back. I would also bid on the uh, Johnny Versace selection of four silk scarves and the two uh, leather bracelet cuffs. Yeah. Which is, their estimate is 600 to $800. I think that's again I think that's just like what it's worth like if you just saw it at a vintage store if it was at decades or something yeah well we'll definitely be back in a month reporting how much this stuff went for and uh here's hoping Ivy Getty just buys all of it fingers crossed okay well we have one final thing to talk about before we wrap this up Kardashianaholics Anonymous this is a case for the FBI Guys, another thing we could use your help on is we definitely want to change the Kardashian theme. We definitely shouldn't have the Kanye bit anymore 
But it's like, if we're going to change that, we might as well just redo the theme. Which, by the way, I made in about two and a half minutes. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that Kanye did get married in a private ceremony in Beverly Hills to a woman named Bianca Sensori. Very glamorous name. Uh, we don't really know if it was a legal ceremony, though. Which... I'm kind of into. I think more people should get married but not actually file any paperwork. So Bianca is head of architecture at Yeezy. She moved here in 2020 from Melbourne. So this is really uh, really taken the Melbourne fashion world by storm. Should I be annoying and ask if Tat knows her? Because, you know, Australians, right? She doesn't know her, but we've definitely heard some gossip that I can't really relay here. But anyway... I know that you shouldn't make assumptions about a woman based on how she looks. But if I was Kim and I went into the Yeezy office and Kanye was like, this is my employee, I would be like, oh, hell no. Because he found her on Instagram and like (laughs) brought her to L.A. To be fair, I think that's how Kanye. Yeah, that's how Kanye picks like most of his employees. Also, I'm just imagining that when you do go into the Yeezy office, besides the men, it's kind of like that scene in Being John Malkovich when just John Malkovich's turn around in the office. Like, they all just look like clones of Kim. Yeah, it's just, it's a very specific look. And, well, you know, this woman is beautiful. She is. He's a man of God now, so he needed to make it right in God's eyes. Exactly. I don't know, but I suspect that that is the reason for them getting married. Well, you know, they would have started dating in December after his no nut November. So <laughs> his words. <laughs> um. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. In other news, Kim bought one of Princess Diana's necklaces for a little under 200,000 K. Look, I think we can all agree the Kardashians on Hulu isn't serving. You know what would serve is a crib style show that is just Kim's closet. And yeah. her just revealing different things she's bought. Honestly, even a, a sub show of that, which is all the shit that Kim's bought at auction and her just talking about it. And then you have, oh my God, here I am producing it. And then you could have people talking about the significance of the auction items she's purchased would watch the shit out of that. Yeah, we basically just want like a haul video, but a little more highbrow. Yeah. So she bought this necklace that it is a giant amethyst cross on a very long chain. Like it is like something that a nun would wear in a fantasy dream musical sequence or something. I don't even have a crucifix this large. Yeah, it's wild looking. It's kind of Dolce. I can't wait to see how she wears it, but I hope that she commits and wears some sort of purple gown or something and just goes all out, you know, like full like Elizabeth Taylor level. Well, I don't think we ended up talking about this, but she has her and Kanye bought all the Michael Jackson thriller costumes that North then wore for Halloween. Do you think maybe the crucifix is is for shy like this is shy's collection? It's like Shy Shy doesn't give a shit about Princess Diana. But maybe it's like Kim seems like a Princess Diana fan. Do you think in between studying for law, she's listening to the audiobook of Spare, which I purchased, guys. Oh, wow. Report back. I think I'm not going to read it chronologically. I think I'm just going to like open to different parts of the book and see what's going on. Yeah. Thus far, that's proved to be a very satisfying experience. It is very overwrought, the writing, I'll just say. Yeah, well, you know, I can't wait to hear all about it. 
Anyway, I have to go. You do. You just, I have to go. Well, my laptop just, just died. Laptop. My laptop died. I didn't shut it like it died. I have to go. I have to get out of here. Okay. My house looks like Tracy Emin, like, and not in a good way. All right, guys. We love you. We'll be back next week with a hotline episode. Oh, yeah. So call in and shit. Or don't. We have, yeah, we have we enough have, We have enough already. Quite honestly, listen to the hotline episode, then call the hotline so we can do the next hotline episode. Also, I just want to put it out there. We tend to favor voicemails that are on the shorter side, like less than a minute. <laughs> because otherwise we have to edit them down ourselves. And sometimes we're like, it's too much work. Like we're not even going to bother. Wow. Harsh. So I'm just saying, I'm just putting that out there. But I love everyone's voicemails. Sometimes I love the long voicemails, but oh, it's just you're... easier for us to play them on the show if they're shorter. Yes. But if you are drunk calling our hotline, we love a long message. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, thank you to everyone who gave us suggestions about how to end the show. We are talking internally. We are going to figure something out. We just haven't figured it out for this week. So stay tuned. Because maybe next week we'll, we'll have figured it out. Yeah, I hope so. Fingers crossed. Right. Anyway, bye fuckettes. Bye guys. Bye guys.